Hello, everybody. Welcome. Hello, and welcome to this wonderful Memorial Day weekend meeting of Emmaus Way. I'm glad you guys could all be here. So I assume that most of you, if not all of you, know that after this we have a party thing happening that you'll hear more about. But I want to start us out tonight uh, with a song by Buddy Miller and Bill Maloney called Water When the Well is Dry.
hey folks, welcome to Emmaus Way. This is kind of the memorial weekend version of uh, a little bit smaller group and going to have a gathering with a potluck this, uh, uh, little uh, after service this evening and um, it's kind of a more intimate gathering. So welcome um, to Emmaus Way. As we say every week, um, I think all of you have heard this before, but we're a community of people who uh, have been captivated by the gospel of Christ and who come together to hear each other speak to read text together, to listen for the Word of God in our midst, and to see how God is working in our world, um, both globally but also uh, locally here in Durham um, and in the surrounding area. Uh, so welcome. Um, it's great to have Mark here uh, with us this evening. Um, Wade is out this week, and it's always nice to have Mark playing for us and kind of leading with us tonight, so it's good to have you. Dave, also great to have you with us uh, playing along, and Dale, um, it's always a pleasure. Um, so uh, thank you guys for joining us. And I've got a few announcements. Um, one is that I know some of you made it out last night to uh, the Pinkerton Raids concert. And so, um, Jesse, I want to ask if you just want to give us an update and kind of tell us how, how everything went from your perspective. Oh, yeah, well, gosh, I mean, I'm just so grateful for so many of you who came out. Um, it was a bigger turnout than I, I had really hoped for, and uh, we had a really good time. Um, you know, there's good stuff happening. We, we're on WKNC on Friday doing an interview, and we're going to do like a TV uh, interview in a couple weeks. Um, so, you know, who knows? It's a scary thing. You put all this time and money into something. You don't know what's going to come back. So it, it really means a lot to me that so many of you were there. Thank you. Great. Yeah, so a lot of things going on in the community from time to time. We try to keep you up to date on what those things are. A lot of local artists, a lot of people kind of working in different, uh, uh, different channels, different avenues, dif- different venues around. So I'm um, just glad uh, that all of you can join us in uh, taking part in that. So um, also tonight, uh, keep in mind that after the service, we are headed to the Jakes. All of you are invited, um, even if you forgot, oh, I forgot there was a potluck this week, don't worry about it. Um, you're all invited over to the Jakes house. It's usually a great time every year. We sit out on the porch or inside and hang out, chat, catch up with one another. Uh, it's really a nice way to kind of begin the summer. Um, I guess Memorial Day is the formal beginning of the summer, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so it's always a good time in our community to do that, um, and you're all invited. Their house, if you need to know how to get there, really is if you just walk down Lamont Street to Watt Street and take a right, it's, I always want to say eight blocks, is that right? It's at 805 Watt Street, which is pretty much directly across the street from the Baptist Church. So Watt Street, Baptist Church will be on your right, and then You'll see cars and people hanging out on the, uh, the front porch will be my guess. If you want to walk it, it's always a nice little walk. But a few years we've got caught in the rain doing that, so <laughs> you may want to think about that. Um, so, yes, you're all invited. Please come join us. Uh, that will be great. Also, I just want to make mention, I know that um, I talked to Lynn just a second ago about this, but I know a lot of you, uh, this is the time of year when a lot of you are kind of transitioning out of the community. You're moving on to different places, and I just want to remind you, please let us know. Uh, when your last Sunday will be with us, because we really want to pray for you to, you know, make sure that we say goodbye and kind of, you know, bless you uh, on your way out and um, all that kind of stuff. So please make sure uh, that we know uh, when you're moving on. Um, So today is uh, the first Sunday of Pentecost. It is the time when we celebrate uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon uh, the disciples, upon the apostles and those people who were preaching. You can see this at the beginning of the book of Acts. 
um, where God begins uh, through the Spirit to move missionally in the world. What had become a small kind of gathered group of people around Jesus and around the risen Christ now begins to kind of break forth and begin to uh, move outward, and, and the mission of the church uh, is birthed at this point. Um, and so in starting this Sunday, I know tonight we're going to continue on a conversation that we've been having on issues of uh, sexuality, on how we think about sexuality, on marriage, and on homosexuality, identity, all those kind of things. We're going to continue on with that tonight, um, which will hopefully be a good discussion time for us, um, but also want to make you aware of where we are in the church calendar, and it's that time where the mission of the church is birthed, and as the mission of, the, of God takes place in the world, and the church participates in that. Um, so AJ is actually going to read our collect, our prayer for tonight, uh, for the first Sunday of Pentecost. Almighty God, who on this day did open the way of eternal life to every race and every nation by the promised gift of thy Holy Spirit, shed abroad this gift throughout the world by the preaching of the gospel, that it may reach to the ends of the earth through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the same Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. It's always good to have AJ back with us, uh, kind of a piece of Emmaus Way in Virginia now, so it's good to have you. This next song is called Hammers and Nails. It's by one of my favorite songwriters, a guy named Mark Hurd. We've done a couple of his songs before, and he is a songwriter who I sort of discovered when I was in college uh, at UNC, and he was, I would sort of say, one of the songwriters that led me out of the wilderness, as it were of uh, some of the music I had listened to for a long time. Uh, he was the first sort of lyricist that really challenged the way that I thought about um, how, how specific songs needed to be versus how sort of open-ended or slightly vague they can be. And I think that he's a really, really rich, imaginative songwriter. He has just grand images in his songs. And I've always liked the chorus on this one that says, your love never can fail to pierce me hammers and nails, rhythm of passion louder than hell, thunder of heaven, hammers and nails. Fire in my shallows, sap of my soul, I'm hungry for mercy, thirsty for slack Out in the outland, the flesh and the dust The weight of the tider is breaking my back Hope where I left it, under the skin The countenance of maidens, the stance of the laddies The healing of old wounds, the trust of my kin Voices of children calling me daddy And your love never can fail To peace me, hammers and nails Rhythm of passion louder than hell Thunder of heaven, hammers and nails Light in the dark eyes in the diamonds, shelter from heavy skies, sand into pearls, bread for the breathless, cloth for the fresh wounds, 
Order and chaos Orbit the half world The taste of a color The flavor of life None but a blind man Can measure that weight I am a deaf mute Idol a statue The music of hemispheres Lost in the half haze And your love Never can fail To pierce me I'm a passion louder than hell Thunder of heaven, hell is a hell Whistle in the dark Stains on the stained glass Pains in the heart In darkened corners Love lies forgotten In the heat of the moment Waits to be spotted How could I slight you? How could I turn? How can you take it when I'm blind to your pain? The burning of fingers The smoldering nerves How can you take me back over and over again? And your love never can fail to pierce me, hands and nails. Rhythm of passion louder than hell, thunder of heaven, hands and nails. talking about it at text group this week was the idea of, of what kinds of stories about ourselves become defining stories and what ways are we sort of unable to break out of what those stories are, the ways that we sort of self-define ourselves. What does that mean in terms of how we continue to view ourselves and what ways are we able to break out of that prison or what ways do we sort of remain imprisoned by it? This is a song that came to mind because it tells the story of, of three or four different people who are sort of trapped in this personal hell, this personal prison that they just don't really know. They don't really know how to break out of it. So this is called Weight of the Sky. And as soon as you think you understand how the chorus goes, feel free to join in. Michael was funny, he was charming and wild In my high school days, he was the king of the street Rode his Harley down Blossom Hill Road And his life was over in a heartbeat Not me, I think I'm gonna stick around 
I have just got to find out how this movie ends And as I stumble through the mystery of this life I'm gonna keep on trying to find a friend Danny was an actor, he was quick and he was good But his eyes betrayed a sadness that troubled me one night they found his empty car down on the beach He'd just taken off his clothes and walked into the sea Not me, I think I'm gonna stick around I have just got to find out how this movie ends And as I stumble through the mystery of this life I'm gonna keep on trying Find a friend Lost and drifting on the river of longing Bowed and bloody from the weight of the sky Longing to call out for someone's forgiveness But I'm not sure who or why Maybe we're frightened like children in the darkness Chasing shadows in the strangest dreams Sometimes living feels harder than dying Sometimes it feels like we're trapped in between In between, no Mickey was so beautiful and gentle and kind The last time I saw her I almost cried She married a sailor who liked to use his fists She could bandage all the cuts but she was dead inside Not me, I think I'm gonna stick around I've just got to find out how this movie ends and as I stumble through the mystery of this life I'm gonna keep on trying to find a friend Let's do the chorus again Not me, I think I'm gonna stick around I've just got to find out how this movie ends And as I stumble through the mystery of I'm gonna keep on trying to find a friend I'm gonna keep on trying to find a friend Thanks, Mark. That was like a chant. That was great. That was a good, uh, uh, good movement from uh, earlier music. I love that. Um, hey, one more quick announcement that I forgot to tell Dan about. Uh, Sarah, did you have a quick feedback for us about, you know, we're, we're, this is the first of our summer setup, and we kind of want summer setups to be, you tell us. Summary. That's right. Dan's wearing white because it's after Memorial Day. That's, that was the thing he was missing there. So, yeah. 
like a light setup. So it's just going to be the red chairs, unless you all keep coming out in these awesome numbers and we'll put out the blue chairs. Um, but we don't need any couches, we don't need any carpets. Just as long as we have the red chairs and our rugs over there for all of you Kathleen junkies, then um, <laughs> kind of all need. Um, so along with that, that means that there's only going to be two people on setup every weekend during the summer. And so if you can like, this is a great summertime project if you want to help out and practice hospitality like we've been talking about. This is a great time to do that. So you can stack chairs or help us put away those couple of things that are around. That would be Thank you, Sarah, and especially tonight, so folks can get over to the um, to the potluck. Help uh, Josh and Sarah, who are our our brave Memorial Day weekend host tonight. That'd be great. So thanks to everybody who who went into that, um, and for Dan for that detailed explanation of of summer wear. We're we're thankful too. <laughs> hey, I want to give you an opportunity to stand up to greet each other. If you're around somebody you don't know, please introduce yourself. Offer each other the peace of Christ. Uh, Larry, good to see you, buddy, and we're glad you're here. And uh, we will uh, jump back into this in about 90 seconds tonight. So I am just on my way back from the beach. This, uh, the staff has taken kind of a, uh, a beach retreat for the weekend. And I had to, to bust back this morning about 5.30 to do another church service. So I, am, I, am, I have been up. But I missed the opportunity to see Jesse in his striped spandex last night. Uh, any comments on that, Jesse? No? Julie? Woo, baby. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I hated that I missed that. Um, the, actually, the staff is away in the Outer Banks today. So we're Dan and I are kind of winging church from the staff side of things alone. So if there's pandemonium or riot or whatever, then, then we'll know what was the, the true cause of that. Um, let me give you a little bit of background. This is a, a day that I'd like to do a lot of talking, meaning you do a lot of talking. And for this to be kind of a... a a much broader dialogue. Um, so last week, we have been talking about these broader concepts of, uh, of marriage, family, sexuality. We've kind of loosely themed this after the amendment because the, the amendment vote, at least in its context, was a huge thing for this community. I mean, Durham and Emmaus Way, lots of conversation, lots of, of feedback, uh, something that was on our minds. And there we were stuck in First John, right, talking about love and realizing that in some ways uh, to connect that biblical conversation to um, these broader issues was important for us. And so this has been fun to do. Have a quick apology from last week. Uh, I, I hated that we didn't really do a dialogue last week um, in terms of uh, it was a compressed week with Ecclesia meeting. And so I, had, I knew I had like 25 minutes and I was going to take 29, which I think I did. But here's the thing that I have noticed. This came up when Dan and I were writing Free For All. And we had a chapter on the book that related to Romans 1. And inevitably, if you're reading Romans 1, the conversation is going to come toward unnatural sex or homosexuality or the terminology that's related in that book. And one of the things that we did a podcast as a part of a community reading Romans 1 together, and it was a great night. We actually had like 30 people out on a Thursday night to talk about this. And the comment that was stated again and again and again is people said, you know, I want 
to think about this. I want to dialogue about this. I, I want to learn about this, but I have no idea even where to start. I'm even nervous. To, I mean, do you remember that first 30 minutes? It was pretty quiet in the room, and you and I, and it maybe Trigger, and there were several of us who kind of just did some talking until people felt like they could join in. And so that was one of my hopes last week, is I did some talking with the idea that I could invite you this week to be able to converse more about this. Let me give you like a really fast bullet point version of a couple things that I said, but I encourage you, if you've never done this before, Katrina was telling me she was listening to the podcast because she was doing the kids, and if you've, never, if you've never done the podcast, it's a great, particularly a great way to really enjoy the music again in terms of a worshipful uh, experience as a part of your day or week, but um, I would encourage you to listen to the podcast um, so that I, I don't have to do a ton of talking tonight, and I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback as always. Um, Here's a few bullet points um, that will be expanded much more if you listen to the podcast on this if you weren't here. But I talked a lot about the need for interpretation and the challenges of literalism when reading the Bible related to family, sexuality, all of those broad subjects, marriage and otherwise. Um, And we looked at a couple of big issues. One is that there's change in the text. The text itself over the thousand plus years that it was written, these notions of things like slavery, warfare, uh, family life, marriage, sex, all of these things change during the writing of the Bible. You can see the movement of time in those things. The Bible is not static on those issues. We also talked about phenomenal change after the text was finished and written. Uh, We as kind of orthodox Christians embrace a canon that was finished writing at a certain point in time and was affirmed by the church. But obviously time has moved on. And we would not affirm the Bible as sacred if it said everything that it needed to say about life a thousand years later, because there's many things that the scriptures could never even imagine. Kind of threw that point out as if the Bible jumped into cell biology or uh, uh, quantum physics. We would respond to it as somewhat inappropriate and, and bogus. Uh, and so it's, it's a book of its time, and it doesn't imagine every circumstance. So that's one bullet point, is just interpretation, Bible, how to read it and, and how culture fits in. And then what I wanted to do on this whole thing is it seemed important for me to not um, kind of be in any way overly not vulnerable or neutral. I want to talk a little bit about where I was coming from on this. And a bullet point on that for me is I made the point that particularly in the instance of monogamous, committed, homosexual relationships, that is a, a cultural context that has never been imagined by the Bible. It, it, it just it, it doesn't exist. It, it was unheard of. And so that was, for me, kind of a root in, in interpretation for the challenge to fully embrace LGBTQ commu- folks in our community to uh, look at things like gay marriage and, and civil unions as a, a positive uh, part of society life. And that's my own kind of perspective on that. And then one of the challenges that I had last week was the need for a missional ethic, an ethic that is formed around hospitality. And I think this is one of the places where um, 
Christendom has failed many times throughout its history is it has um, it, to use that language that we talked about uh, with Henry Nowen and, 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 and dialogue and hospitality, the Christian church at times has struggled in receptivity because of our notions of what we think we're being honest about without really working hard to understand the culture that we're in. And so I think the world that we live in is one that really challenges us to think about hospitality and think about people who are, are marginalized. But one of the, the, the flip side of that that's challenging for us is that we also need a sexual ethic. Um, I made the point that I, I don't, don't often use the term open and affirming because I'm not sure that it goes far enough. When I hear that term, I think about it, I think about words of tolerance or you know, I kind of tolerate uh, Andy. I mean, and, you know, he's a, he's a Virginia Tech guy and I'm never going to wrap my brain around that kind of foolishness. But, you know, we're going to, you know, accept each other to be part of this community, so to speak. You know, as long as he doesn't talk football around me, you know. And so one of the things that, that I think we need to, to think to some degree is what is an ethic that goes beyond um, just tolerating people? It, it, it needs to be much more of an engaged ethic, an engaged conversation. And so one of the things that I think is important for us is to do what we've been doing is to work harder at kind of getting out of maybe naive Bible readings on, uh, in one area, but also these ideas that Whatever people do is okay. There's, there's got to be a prophetic ethic that's a part of, of being this distinct, peculiar community of love that we've been talking about. And so we need an ethic. Um, and then the last point that I made, we didn't get into this in great detail, was um, this idea of what's the real boogeyman? That's, that's the term that we used in our little southern rural thing. The boogeyman was the thing that lived under the bed and was really the problem in every situation. And to some degree, is our inability to talk about notions like the Bible and salvation, and sometimes having overly sentimental views of those things, uh, we feel like, you know, if I get into a conversation about sexual orientation or marriage or how the Bible changes over time, the real thing that's threatened in this are, are cherished notions that, that probably need to be looked at more intently and, and explicated in a more thorough way. So those were some of the things that I, I threw out last week. Those are bullet points. And again, you can hear the podcast. I would also say that in the nature of this conversation, there's about 10,000 things that are being unsaid. If you're really interested in dealing with I love the articles that we've done the last couple of weeks in pub group. Dan did a, a, an article, passed an article on, on Romans 1 about two weeks ago, and a really good chapter in a book on sexuality and how it fits into culture. Because one of the things I think that we often don't realize is that we're trying to interpret a text that was written in a certain time that had certain understandings about bodies and sexuality in a way that often we have no idea about that. And I think hanging around... The, the Dave Kleins and, uh, and people like that in this community, AJ and others, we've had some good conversations of things that you know, I, I don't think I would have known had I not been in this community. But I encourage you, if you're interested in, in that, to, to explore that further and talk with each other. One of the best goals that might come out of this conversation for us is in home groups and pub group and, and in conversation that we really work at as a community in terms of reading the Bible together, asking what are the risks that we need to take in hospitality 
hospitality? What are the kind of prophetic ethics that we need to hold on to and proclaim to the world that we're in? And that's hard work. And in Emmaus Way, one of the things that we always say is, this isn't a subtle invitation for you to adopt my perspective because it's my perspective. I never look at the dialogue as this kind of game that, that, that sometimes you can have, is that if people listen to me long enough, they'll eventually either agree with me or get gone. And, and we're not necessarily wanting either of those outcomes uh, with things. This is something that, that my job, to some degree, is kind of the pastor of the conversation around here, is to make sure that we do conversation well and to make sure that it's generative and missional. And so this is kind of my way of doing that. So with that said, I hope that primes the pump enough because I don't have the illusion that you sit around thinking about sermon dialogues all week long. That's a, a little bit of the bullet points from last week. But I'd love to just hear feedback, conversations, questions. Uh, let us speak to each other on this whole kind of missional idea related to family, marriage, sexuality, and, and, and maybe even specifically the amendment itself because it was so divisive in the culture that we live in. So the floor is yours. Uh, I... Uh... Well, Julie and I, last year at, at Wild Goose Festival, we, uh, we met um, uh, a lesbian couple who was there, not, not Christians, but they, they knew that there was, there was a lot of um, uh, uh, LGBTQ activism represented there, and there were, so they were curious about it and, and you know, wanted to see basically if they could participate in a in a Christian kind of conversation about this, if there were they, not that they had any particular interest personally or personal faith, but just wondering if they could find any kind of allies among Christians, um, which I which really blew me away that they would go to a festival that's you know clearly a Christian festival looking for that, um, and so you know we have or I have tried to stay in touch with one of them. Um, over the past year or so, and uh, so you know, I reached out to her when uh, after the amendment, and you know, just kind of said, "I'm sorry this happened," and um, you know, we're thinking about you. Um, and her reaction was really interesting because she she said, uh, "You know, I've got a lot of these gestures of solidarity from people in Durham." You know, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate the intention behind it. But she said, you know, I I feel most sorry not for me, not for not for uh, gays and lesbians around here. But basically, she said, I feel sorry for you. You know, I the, I feel like the youth the youth culture has spoken, and this is the language she used. Christian empire is coming to an end. Christian empire is coming to an end, and you know, basically, you guys are going to be on the wrong side of this thing, and you know, good luck, basically, you know. And uh, I, I, I really appreciate it. it was very honest. Um, it's, I don't necessarily, I, I think it's wishful thinking, you know, that uh, that she would be looking forward in that way as though this is all going away pretty quickly uh, in the face of just this major loss, you know. But but the, that she used the language of empire 
was uh, really powerful to me because um, I think that uh, you know it's it's easy for us, or at least I grew up thinking that the powers that be were were oppressing me as a Christian and. And you know, and that seems to be some of the impetus for uh, an amendment like this. Like, you know, let's get power, let's seize power, so we can stop being oppressed by all these liberals. Um, and uh, and you know, the the fact that she would use a word like that to say, you know, hey, you guys are using the violent power of the state to control my life, and. and and you talk, you think you're about love, <laughs> you know, you say you're about love, but you're, you, you're using this entity that can, has a right to kill people, ultimately, you know, uh, and you're using it against me. Um, that, to me, that, that, just that word empire was just a really powerful indictment. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting to riff off of that is, and this is where I've seen lots of challenge dialogue is the use of the term you a lot. I mean, who is the you in that statement? You know, and I think that's one of the, the challenges of kind of Emmaus way for us is that um, I, I don't want to use terms you won't know, but in some ways there's this here, this for us, this post-empire perspective on, on Christianity. We might use the term uh, post-Constantinian for some. And so th- that's one of the reasons why this is such a, important conversation is the perception that um, that might not be an accurate perception of who is driving these conversations and I, and I think this is and I have many friends who would say the same thing I think that's a a significant comment, but I throw that out there because often when when dialogue breaks down, we're 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 in a notion of of defining a you that sometimes doesn't exist, and all you have to do is watch a couple of news shows to, to see that happen. But that is the level that that's you're, what you've captured there is the visceral level that has happened in our culture today related to to not just to social issues and faith uh, in a broader way. Thank you for saying that, Jesse. Other other thoughts, ideas. Yeah. So, so as an African, this is this is a strange conversation we have in a way, because I I may not have some of the same the reflexes as other people, or the same background. But um, I find it find it a bit troubling because because as an African, I the, the entire impetus that the language um, that suggests that the church or all the Christians are. Uh, mistaken um, in suggesting that marriage is um, something between a man and a woman. It seems very Western. It seems to be the liberal project, and it seems to be a lot of the language around choice. And, and, and I'm skeptical of that. I'm very skeptical of the liberal project. I don't think the liberal project allows the creation of communities which enable people to do things other than just sort of freely associate as consumers. And uh, I kind of suspect a lot of people here, aside from this debate, agree with me in this case. Give a, give a one sound bite on what you mean by the liberal project. That's a term that we use a lot, but I'm sure other, it's, there are people in certain realms that don't use that term. So what do you mean? So it's this very, very American idea, but it's spread around the world. Individual- That's our plan, spreading around the world. <laughs> that, that in itself is a very American idea. <laughs> We're coming to get you. 
Starting with your house, Mark. It's this idea that you've got this atomized individual, often this atomized individual that almost has no history, sprang into being fully formed, who has a bunch of preferences. And then you have society just basically a, a negotiation about how you can best satisfy your preferences versus everybody else. Um, and, 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 and I look at... Hence the challenge of a gospel that has an ethic, that, 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 that isn't a preference or anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so then I, then I look at, for instance, so, so I look at Genesis 2, and it speaks about how God made male and female as aspects of God, right? So, it's something to do with the image of God that we have male and female. And so from that, as opposed to liberal ideas and Western ideas of equality, is where I think, where I oppose, let's say, the complementarian people. It's from that that I oppose patriarchy. It's from Genesis 2 that I come. And I don't think Genesis 2 is time-bound in that respect. I think maybe some people in the church has missed it sometimes and upheld patriarchy. But I would oppose patriarchy within... African um, society because of Genesis 2. I would oppose patriarchy, I would oppose um, sort of male headship kind of claims because of Genesis 2, because I think it's something about the image of God. Um, I would oppose sort of two, you know, fine, have a man's break, but I oppose kind of obsessive splitting of, of genders because of Genesis 2. Because I think you need male and female to have the image of God in community, in leadership, and Jesus says refers explicitly to Genesis 2 when he talks about marriage. So, so, if, so if that vision is right, then there's a, a vision of um, the need for male and female uh, which stems not purely from a sort of cultural perspective, but from this kind of the nature of God himself, herself. Um, and, 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 and Jesus had tied that explicitly to marriage. And so, so I struggle with the idea that it can be decoupled. Maybe you think I'm a fundamentalist. I, I don't think that those readings of Genesis 2 would ride well with 98% of people who call themselves fundamentalists. So. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm really interested in what you're saying. Could you speak up a little bit more? So, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> it's just not quiet. Just allow a fundamentalist to get it. That in saying we're so unsure of what scripture teaches us, that the same, if, if we were that unsure, if, if we can't, can't take that from Genesis 2 and then, then, and then Jesus, um, Jesus is uh, referring to that in respect of marriage, then I also can't be sure when I speak to people who in, in, um, in various in African culture are patriarchal or who believe in polygamy. I can't be sure. I can't, I, if I've got so little left, if it's so enculturated, um, then I've got nothing left to say, well, then somebody else has just got a different culture. And then, and then, and then, and then there's, no, there's no ethic which says to them, well, if, if, if you're a Christian, that changes. And so, as an African, it, it troubles me because it, it, just, it seems more culturally propelled. Um, and, and, and what that means is then that other, you know, other cultures might just develop completely different things that, that I think are, are wrong, intrinsically wrong, unjust, like patriarchy. You know, this is, I don't, this is by no means a summary of your statement, but there's a couple of things that come out of that that I think are important. Is and, and this is where I've been, I've been disappointed in communities that I'm part of. Uh, I'm on the board of directors for a, a school out in Seattle and other places. Um, 
was part of the leadership of Emergent Village for a long... I've been in a lot of different communities where I've been kind of tagged as a leader, and those communities have had great dialogues and poor dialogues and certain things. One place that I've really been disappointed with dialogue is what you're talking about, Andrew, when there hasn't been a willingness to dialogue about scriptural text and about culture and the, and the mindset that text and culture have nothing to do with each other, which, you know, when you, because when you use a term like patriarchy, you realize the Bible was written in an incredibly patriarchal era, and there are, you know, verses and verses and verses and verses. Uh, in fact, if you're interested on this, uh, this is a conservative book on the subject. Um, so I, I don't agree with its, uh, with its ultimate conclusion on uh, gender roles or the LGBTQ questions, but it's an interesting conservative book called Slaves, Women, and Homosexuals. And it's a book that talks about change within the text itself over time and basically says you can't... The, point I made earlier, you can't read the text as a static way. And one of my deep concerns in a lot of Christian circles has been the, the fear, almost a sentimental fear of trying to, in some ways, exegete or interpret text and interpret culture. And it's why it's really important when somebody could step in and say, I'm not an American, and so I think differently about this. And it reminds us, well, well it is our Bible, by the way, Andrew, so you need to come to grips with that for a little bit, you know. Uh, but, you know, it raises that issue. It's not our Bible, right? And, and so that's, that's a really good point. Um, other folks? Sure. Um, sorry to mildly rip off, rip off of Andrew, but I'm thinking about the within the church and with the church and people outside the church, and that is the Alistair McIntyre book, Who's Justice, Which Rationality? And I think that type of question is a good question to ask in this, because one thing I noticed around the whole Amendment 1 deal is, is whether you're in the church or outside of the church, a lot of people assume that they assume just the universal definition of love and it's just, it's out there. And so whether you're a Christian or not, there's this definition of love. And if you were in favor of the amendment, then you weren't being loving and you are making Christianity look bad and all of that. And I'm not really convinced that that's fair. And I'll lay my cards on the table. I voted against the amendment, didn't think it was a good idea. But I also don't think that men should have sex with men and women with women. So I'm a traditionalist on that. But... Where I'm coming from is a particular understanding, and I'm not going to say it's the understanding of the whole church, because we all don't agree, but an understanding of the term love that's rooted in the Christian story, and I'm just, I think it can be dangerous to just go ahead and take all sorts of definitions from out there and everywhere on what love means. It's kind of like what you said, like your, your accompaniment of using welcoming and not welcoming and affirming, as if just come in and do whatever, because love means do whatever we accept all of that. And I just don't find that convincing. And I, I also even think there's these categories of LGBTQ. And it's like, I recognize that those are categories that are out there and they're real and people operate in those. But I'm not even convinced that those are all good categories. And yet, for so many people in the church, they just go ahead and accept that and say, you take it all. And again, so when you're talking about love or language of LGBTQ, I think it's important to think about where is that language rooted? Where are we getting our definitions from, our understandings? What practices help define all of those things? I mean, who's 
justice are we talking about? And which rationality are we talking about when we're having this conversation? Because I've come from a position that I know a lot of people would think is bigoted and hateful. And I, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. I bet you self-see that's possible for anyone, but I just don't see where I'm coming from that way. But it's really hard to have that conversation with other folks. <coughs> in any other aspect of life, they say there are just universal contempt. Impose your, impose your values on others, but there are a certain set of values which a lot of people are more likely to impose upon people and types of language that they're willing to impose upon people. And that concerns Well, we live in a community where um, liberal fundamentalism is a strong force as well as other types. And Trigger, I'm going to footnote you on a, a couple of things. What was really saucy, if you're interested in reading uh, the article Dan sent a couple of weeks ago, was it was by a guy named Dale Martin, who was on the Duke faculty, writing against a guy named Richard Hayes, who's still, is he the dean of the Divinity School at this point? They were on the faculty together, so it was kind of saucy because they were on the, uh, the, the same faculty together. But Trigger, um, I'm going to footnote you on this, Trigger did a great job in Emmaus Way four or five years ago, uh, probably better than Richard Hayes could have done of describing his position on that. And so, um, and, and there's a point that you're making here that's really critical. It's the idea of positionality. Um, it, one of the things, and this is really why I wanted to share my perspective on this, because I wanted to engage you with positionality. But you also understand that, that um, unless people speak um, it's so easy to carefully categorize people without realizing that um, when we craft notions of justice and of love, um, sometimes sentimentality rules those things to the point of really we don't know what we're talking about. I've experienced that this year in the academy myself where at times there are ideas of justice being spoken about or equality and I'm sitting there part of, and I mean this as part of Christendom, part of a really rich conversation on justice and equality where I may say, you know, there's actually more to it than that. Um, so to speak. So Trigger makes a good point about uh, in dialogue, uh, we have to be really careful not to, I mean, you know, what's a liberal, what's a conservative, these are all relative points of view. But, but thank you for saying that. And I, I, and I want to highlight that because I want people to engage you on your perspective. That was by no means an effort to co-opt that or to, to put you in a position of, because mine is different, of my thinking that you are unloving and bigoted. And all, I mean, I, I think you're kind of a West Coast guy. I don't like that, but other than other than that, and skateboarding is trivial. You know, you know, no. I mean, that's that we, we we have to embrace each other. In that a uh, couple more comments uh, or reactions. Visit Mark. Why don't you go visceral reactions as well? Are welcome. So I was going to say, kind of, with something Trigger said is Dan and I were having a conversation in public the other night, saying how even talking with what Trigger says that that how we define love and how what what does that mean and what's and how there can be different definitions of that inside the church and outside the church. And my comeback to that would just be to say that there are different definitions of that within the church. Because, what, like, Dan, what would you do? Or if somebody asks you the question, um, you know, hey, would you marry a homosexual couple? That, that is a ridiculous question to ask. Because you can't answer that honestly. You don't know the couple. Just like if somebody were to come to you and say, would you marry a heterosexual couple? Well, I don't even know them. How, why would I do that? How do I, I need to know these people? I need to be in community with them. And that somehow it's out of community that these kinds of things spring, rather than out of some definitions that we're trying to make universally, either inside or outside the church. But that somehow this comes out of a community of people who are caring for them. 
Well, Mark, that's a that that's the point I think I was making of of things like open and affirming, where, where that breaks down in these broad generalizations. Because you know when. Uh, when when you marry a couple, you might want to ask if they're axe murderers or. Gosh, Sarah, I forgot to ask you guys about that. Uh, any any axe murdering things going on? <laughs> Can we meet after? You know, but I mean, you know, that's that, that, that. You know, a lot of times we also want to deal in terms of abstractions that allow us to disassociate theology from human persons. Uh, Triggers is describing an example, too, that love and some of our cherished notions can be abstracted to the point of where they can be used in a, in a, a negative way. So thank you for saying that. I want to hear Dave. No. Uh, yeah, sure, Daniel. Um, just one thought that, that I had throughout sort of some of this whole conversation is um, I was reading in, in First Corinthians recently, and I think it's interesting the way that Paul sets up when he's talking about sexual immorality, the distinction between the church and others. And then a lot of times in this debate, it's viewed as sort of an either-or um, around the amendment. Uh, so I thought it was interesting that, that Paul pretty much says clearly, like, you know, hey, all the sexual immorality stuff going on, this is really not good. I'm not really talking about the other people, because why would we expect different from them? Um, but, but saying that sort of, you know, within the church, you know, like you said, sort of, who are you to judge, you know, those outside? Within the church, you know, you're in a community that you you can speak to each other in that way, um, and that uh, you know that God is the judge. But I guess I just find it interesting that um, it seems from the Bible that a lot of the talk on morality and stuff is meant for believers, not necessarily meant for um, it may be the ideal in the way for the culture at large, but not necessarily meant for the way that we would hold somebody accountable outside of the. the um, church. And so I feel like with the amendment, it was in many ways people trying to hold the society accountable to um, to you know a biblical standard, if you will, um, which doesn't seem to be what the Bible is even telling people to do. So Daniel, you're raising a tricky issue that we've been reading in 1 John, right? That it, it has a feel of kind of like sectarian language, and that's another variable that plays in. AJ? Yeah, well, you can go. You get your hand up before I do. <laughs> you can get, yeah, sure. Uh, I have appreciation for all these comments that have been made. Um, I know back at the time when the two articles that you all presented first came out, I was teaching two back then, and um, I think that they presented their points live and in person there too and the small chapel, old chapel was packed to rafters for those occasions but um, I also came across an article by Lou Timothy Johnson I don't know who's seen that one but he, he says that the first thing that we need, the Christian church needs to say about this issue is to uh, reject two kinds of responses one is the response that um, we hear often where Christians um, are like the preacher that's been on TV recently. He says that we ought to put all the, the lesbians in this one fenced-in electrified fence area over here and all the gays in this other electrified fence over here. And, you know, he's just so extreme and so unloving and so um, full of of hatred and, and 
despising these people that um, it just doesn't accord well with, with the basics of the Christian faith. So that's one extreme that we want to avoid. And the other extreme would be just to accept the agenda of um, a movement that doesn't have its, its basis in, um, it's not a part of the Christian community, it's not a part of the rationality and the community and the justice that, that the Christian community tries to present. So we don't, we don't want to go along with either of those. He says, well, how do we go about deciding within the Christian community on the basis of the things that we hold authoritative and on the um, and in the a process that honors the processes that we generally ascribe to, how then do we go about dealing with this? And that's what I hear as as us moving along toward now, I hear people not wanting to take either of the, the liberal agenda or the um, the knee-jerk reaction against um, gays and lesbians, but wanting to try to feel our way forward and, and see how does the scripture suggest we go about talking about this. And this is what is so severely lacking and what most um, you know, the reporters, I just always run when they report on stuff because they don't know poor things. But um, <laughs> most of them, even some of them who may be Christians in our, in our area down south here, often are just, you know, not very informed Christians. And, and the way they have a reporting on what the church says about it is, is sort of inadequate. But, um, I really appreciate the conversation that we're having and hope that things like this can continue. Um, you should stay after church, though, because we're going to beat the crap out of Trick Tick Trigger on the way out here. It's going to be really kind of fun. No. <laughs> no. And that you said how you felt personally about the morality, but how you voted. And I think that offers a very interesting, um, you know, that's not something that most of the reporters who go around reporting on would even as a possible alternative. And there are all kinds of ways of considering these issues that are not a part of some um, this team and that team and let's see who wins mentality that reporters get you know, and if I could, let me footnote another person that you guys might be interested in hearing. He's a local, a good friend of mine. Um, his name is Brian Ammons. He's a faculty member at Duke. Um, he's a, a gay pastor at Pullen Baptist for a long time in Raleigh um, and uh, has a similar degree to the one that I'm trying to get. Um, but he spoke at Big Tent Christianity. I think you could pull this off the, off the podcast um, uh, on the positionality of being post-gay. And what he meant by being post-gay is not ex-gay, but um, as, a, as a Christian, somebody who didn't see his uh, person or identity in Christ uh, dominated by the person who he is in a partnership with. And he has a 20-year partner as a part of that. He's a very, very well-thought, uh, provocative uh, presentation. I think you would enjoy that because it, it, it in some ways it's a it, it's a it's a, it's another voice, one that isn't heard. And uh, those historically, uh, the editor of Queer Magazine about ten or twelve years ago declared himself as as post-gay, meaning.
meaning I don't orient myself politically because of the fact that, that I sleep with a man. Um, and he was practically crushed and destroyed, fired. Uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's always an agenda. AJ, I'm going to give you the final word on this, and then we're going to... I'm just watching the clock here because Mark Williams is going to get mean with me in just a minute. Does that mean that we might also have a challenge to become post-perspectives? Sure. And not, and not see, and see ourselves primarily as Christian? Well, I'll probably never become post-heterosexual. I'm, I'm kind of like... But, but post-heterosexist is one of the... That might, that might be a different position. You say that our basic identity is in Christ and not in our... Yeah, very good point. Now, Mimi might prefer that I become post-heterosexual at some point, but it's a whole different question. (laughs) AJ. (laughs) I set you up now, man. I just lobbed lobbed the softball at you, AJ. Well, I will say first, the Luke Timothy Johnson guy actually wrote two really good articles that were pretty helpful. One was in the early 90s, I think. And the second one would have been like 2007. And they're really good, so I would advise people to like, if you can find them. So I, I might have a topic and I can send it around or something. Um, so one thing to piggyback off of Trigger, you mentioned the word love, and I'm just going to take the word love. This doesn't necessarily go against what you're saying, the word is in competition with. Um, but I was thinking that if, if we're going to talk about love um, and what love is and you know how we define these things and so on and so forth, then we... From a scriptural basis, we have to be open to the possibility that um, our notions of love are, are limited. And I haven't been here for the last few weeks, um, but I explained it all three weeks ago. <laughs> but somehow, the like maybe so, so for me, a helpful passage in terms of thinking about this. And I think it, it has some loopholes, and I can still work that sort of stuff out. Um, but I was talking to Jenny about this the other night, actually. Um, when you look at um, in Acts, right, when Peter has the, the vision, right? And so Peter has the vision and like he sees all these animals coming about, like they're you know, they're unclean animals and you know he says to God, like I can't possibly like eat these unclean animals. And God says to Peter, Peter, don't call unclean what I've called clean, right? Because at this particular point in time, like the issue is like, you know, I'm a Jew, I have you know I have these particular laws and I stick with the letter of the law says this. Like it doesn't make sense for me to be in community or eating at a table with people who eat unclean food, these Gentiles, right? But what's really happening, happening in that text is God saying, well, you have your letter of the law, Peter, and that's fine, and that's cool, right? But the Holy Spirit is actually doing something really drastically different here. And so you might say that this is what you should be doing, right? But the Holy Spirit should be pointing to the fact that, like, in the midst of these Gentiles that you want to call unclean, like, God's actually doing a mighty, wonderful work. And you don't want to look at that, Peter, and sort of say that this is dirty, this is, like, horrible and called for. What you really want to say is, like, no, this is... This is good. And we have to redefine like, our notion of what good is um, and sort of say this. We want to be in community with you. We have no choice, actually, but to be in community with these Gentiles who eat unclean food. Does that make any sense yeah. so far? So in terms of thinking about like the love thing, I'm just still like, reeling from the fact that you tried to bring the Holy Spirit into this, AJ. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> and I don't necessarily have a high pneumatology. I mean, I want to have a high pneumatology. Um, but I think in certain points, it is because we don't. We can't deal with these issues because we don't trust the Holy Spirit could be doing something more, right? So we say, well, it has to be between a man and a woman, or it can't be this or it can't be that. But what do you do when you look at people who say, no, like, we are interested in someone of the same sex, and we love them, and you see their partnership, and you you want to you affirm it and say, this is really, really good, right? So you have two choices. You can say, well, the text says this. 
I need to stick with this particular thing. But it seems that like in reality, something completely drastically different is happening over here that, you, that we might want to be open to. Um, just like Peter, in my opinion, had no choice to be open to the fact like, yeah, God's actually a part of these Gentiles. And you have to sort of accept that, Peter. You can't rely on the letter of the law the way you want it to do um, anymore. Which is really disturbing and really disrupts our, you know, our activities and the way we see the world. But I don't know. It's hard to, in terms of the sexuality thing, it's hard to look at my friends who are in same-sex relationships and be like, oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's clearly, like, this is not good. When in reality, like, all the evidence points to the contrary. Mark, you can start reassembling yourself. I'm watching the clock. I'm going to catch you, Brett, real fast. Um, But quick comment here that I think is a significant one is that we're talking about a conversation that gets derailed by fear. The fear of protecting something, Bible, salvation, all of these things. And I, and I, I was, you know, being a wise-ass, but, I, I, but I, what I meant was that, that often we do not embrace the fact that God's Spirit is active in this. These are good comments. Miriam, Ann, you had a great comment. Trigger, fantastic comment. Uh, Jesse, all of you that spoke tonight. I want to say something real quick is that... Not everybody's going to speak out loud on this, but the idea behind this is to, 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 to push us into a conversational mode. Uh, so please ask people what's great about this community. And Trigger, I appreciate the way you said that. It's just you offering some positionality on this. It, it, it makes you more engageable uh, in that. So thank you for all that, that, that really spoke. That's a great thing. Brett, what you got for us, man? Something that I personally struggle with is, um, even with this issue and other issues, is like making a definite um, decision on what I believe. And I think that's something that we're kind of, we're talking about all this stuff here, um, when in reality, like this is something that plays out in our everyday life. Um, and it, at some point, like we're gonna have to make a decision, you know, and Trigger, you know, shared his opinion, and but he still voted against the amendment. Um, and I think about things and, you know, about the idea of love and that for some people love could be allowing people to live their lives as, as, as they choose and believe that that's how the Bible is telling us to share love. But other people could actually make an educated decision to share love by saying that I don't think this is the way we're called to live. And there are ways in the Bible that you know, we, we talk about that are ways we're called to live in a certain way. And I think at some point we need to talk about like how do we share love with people in that way even um, when we think something is wrong. And I'll just tell one real quick thing is, I have a friend who came to me a couple years ago and I was going to visit him and his wife and he said that I, he's like, I can't, like it, you can't meet with both of them. Like you can't, I couldn't go to their house. And I can't, we went out to dinner and um, he had cheated on his wife. We're both two of my best friends. And I had to, you know, we kind of sat there and he, you know, confessed this. And I, I, I couldn't be like, yeah, that's, it's okay, man. I still love you. Like. I, I kind of had to say, like, that's not okay, and, you know, you're two of my best friends, and I had this, you know, I, and I know that's something that, like, oh, adultery obviously is wrong, um, but in that, in that moment, I had to really, I had to confront him, and so I think we just need to think about what to, what do we do when we do make a decision um, about this and how to share that love and have a conversation with people in that, in that, um, what can be that friction? Yeah, and I think decision might mean continued dialogue as well, which I think is important. Quick point, just a soundbite on this. Dan made a, had a great sermon on this about 
four or five months ago. But if you remember when he's talking about binding and loosing as kind of the act of the church, remember that it, the point that was made is that our job is not to defend the virtue of Jesus or the church to some degree. That's, you know, and I'm not saying this as a segue from what Brett just said, but we don't have to protect God. Uh, what, we, what we're called to do is be God's people, which means uh, that, and that's what Brett's talking about in terms of how, how do we continue to live as God's people amidst some diversities. Thank you for the passionate comments. This conversation clearly is not over, but Mark, I, I want to hear what you've got. Right I like this song as a song of confession because sometimes in the face, uh, whichever side you fall on with this stuff, um, it's easy to feel like the world is sort of a hopeless place um, because you either feel like the empire that you're a part of is crumbling or you feel um, you feel the other way. You feel that, that you know, we don't we we haven't achieved what we wanted to achieve. So this is a song that that I think is a is a lament because it's a song of confession, and it's a song of um, confessing the areas and the times that we just feel overwhelmed by everything that's happening around us. How can we possibly believe that there is hope in the world? Through these panes of glass Like prisoners through these bars Try to find some clothes to put on clean Some shoes to cover up my feet They're dirty from where they've taken me
feel A distant echo of a deeper love Someone tell me that it's real But how can I believe when all around me All I see is hopelessness and life Can I reach beyond this dimly lit and dreaming twilight To a deeper seen this movie The Wrestler or not? Anybody remember that movie? Great, great film. Mickey Rourke does an amazing performance. Um, one, of the, one of the deals he, that he faces is, okay, so he's this sort of has-been wrestler who was like this famous, you know, famous wrestler um, years ago. He's sort of continued on the, you know, professional wrestling circuit, you know, whatever that means for those of you who watch professional wrestling. Uh, professional, what does that even mean in wrestling? Um, but like, anyway, what it really comes down to, like he has these, you know, terrible health problems and stuff that, that really mean he shouldn't wrestle anymore, but he's supposed to have this big, like, I don't know if it was like 25 years later or something, this like rematch with this guy that was one of the biggest, you know, matches of his career. And he has gone through this terrible health thing. His doctor has said, don't, don't do this. You can't do it. He ultimately decides to do it anyway. The open ending is like he, you know, he has a chance to actually imagine a different life than what he's had. He actually has the chance to be in a relationship with this woman who actually has a chance to have like a redemptive thing go on in his life. But if, if anything, like his greatest sin, as it were, is, is probably his failure to imagine that he could be something else, that there could, in fact, be a different reality for him. And that ultimately is sort of, I mean, it's an open-ended thing, you know, but at the end of the movie, but it, but it seems like, you know, he, he has chosen to remain who he is rather than imagine a different world where he could, in fact, be somebody different. Thank you. 
never seen a one-trick pony in the field so happy and free. If you've ever seen a one-trick pony, then you've seen me. Have you ever seen a one-legged dog making his way down the street? If you've ever seen a one-legged dog, then you've seen me. You've seen me. Come and stand at every door. You see me, I always leave with less than I had before. You see me, but I can make you smile when the blood hits the floor. Tell me, friend, can you ask for anything more? Tell me, can you ask for? Scarecrow, fill with nothing but dust and weeds. If you've ever seen that scarecrow, then you've seen me. Have you ever seen a one-armed man punching in nothing but the breeze? If you've ever seen a one-armed man, then you've seen me. You've seen me. I come and stand it. You see me, I always leave with less than I have before. You see me, but I can make you smile when the blood hits the floor. Tell me, friend, can you ask for anything more? Tell me, can you ask for anything more? Things that have comforted me, I drive away. This place that is my home, I cannot stay. My only face and the broken bones and bruises I display. Have you ever seen a one-legged man? Trying to dance his way free. If you've ever seen a one-legged man, you've seen me. You've seen me. I come and stand at every door. You've seen me. I always leave with less than I had before. You've seen me, but I can make you smile when the blood hits the floor. My friend, can you ask for anything more? Tell me, can you ask for anything more? I don't know if you've seen it,、uh, but there is a recent commercial that has come out that I think. Has a spokesperson. I think it may be Little Wayne. I'm not sure, but it's this commercial where the basic tagline is the discussion about do what you do, and in doing what you do, you become original. And it's just by doing what you do that you do that in an original way, and you become something 
particular and something original. But in doing what you do and becoming particular and original, if you drink Mountain Dew, then you also get to be part of a community. Yeah, that's confusing. <laughs> and I think this is the type of world that we inhabit, where we all want to do our own thing. We all want to feel comfortable. We all want to do what we think it is we want to do and have a little bit of community, enjoy that. But the problem is that we always find it's just as superficial as sharing a Mountain Dew with one another. That these types of communities will not fit for our lives. I think a lot of us here tonight have been maybe made uncomfortable by a discussion. I know sometimes these are not the most comfortable things to engage in. Oftentimes we think, hey, once people agree with me, then I will talk to them. Once they get what I do, and if they're on board with what I do, then we can have a conversation because then we just share our joy of doing what we do together and it never gets much deeper than that. You see, as we approach the table tonight and kind of coming off of a lot of what's been said and even coming off of this notion and acts of the, the gospel being open to the Gentiles, I think what we're going to find as we approach the table is that all of us, the reason why these are uncomfortable and the reason why these discussions are hard is because all of us are going to be forced as we come to the table to continually be changed. Whether we're heterosexual and single, whether we're homosexual and single, whether we're heterosexual and married, whether we're homosexual and trying to be married, that as we come to the table, we are actually engaging in a community act that is deeper than sex. That we are engaging in a community act where love is made known in a new way. And that all the love in our life has purpose and has meaning because this table is celebrated. And that, I think, might make a whole lot of interesting engagements possible. It might make a whole lot of civil unions possible that we never imagined because of the love that's shared between folks as they break bread with one another. As we say, it doesn't matter what differences we think we have, but those differences in Christ have been broken down and they are being transformed into a unified church. So as we leave out of here tonight, as we take the table and as we move on to hang out with one another, I think as we break bread and share wine and juice with one another, the thing that we we are gesturing toward, not just thinking about, but we're actually acting it out, is that all of us are going to have to be transformed by the love of God. We're going to have to re-understand what love means. The easy equation between sex and love in our culture is not the equation that the kingdom works by. Just like not the equation of everybody who looks like me is loved by me. We're not going to solve it right now. But I think in, a, in courage and in hope, we don't know yet. And we can say we don't know yet what the answer will be. And we can do that without saying we failed. 
But as we share the table with one another, as we enter into intimate relationships with people who are very different from us, as we learn what love is, we can say that the church is being made in our presence and that God's work is being done. At Emmaus Way, we celebrate an open table, meaning all of you are invited to break bread with one another, share it with one another, saying, the body of Christ broken for you, and to pour wine or juice for one another and say, the blood of Christ shed for you, knowing that in that act, in that participation of eating and drinking, that the grace of God is taken into your life, that God's grace is poured out upon you and on me as a community together who are learning to love. Mark's going to play, we're going to stand here in just a second, he's going to play the absolution uh, and the benediction in one song, uh, and then we're going to move to the table and head out. But I'm going to pray for us uh, as we go to the table, but also pray for our meal later on tonight. Um, So as we move to absolution and to the table, uh, we can then go from there to a larger table where we can share. Join me in prayer. God, we have to admit that we are people who are frightened by the fact that we don't always know what you're doing. We are a people who are all too often dominated by fear, our fear of you and our fear of one another. And we are also a people who in that fear often turn to our pride and often turn to our insecurities and make differences between ourselves because we just want to find some place that we feel comfortable. God, may we be a community that is transformed by your love, a community of people who are infused with courage and with hope to enter into all different types of relationships, to enter into all different types of uh, lives, and to be the message of your grace, not so people can just stay the same whoever they are, but that we all can be changed by the joining with one another. Bless our time tonight of sharing with one another, of hanging out and of eating. We thank you for your good gifts. Let us never forget that you are a God who gives good gifts. Amen. So our absolution, our hope, our unity is in the way that we express this together. Please stand with me. We're going to sing Awake My Soul. How fickle my heart and how woozy my eyes I struggle to find any truth in your lies and Now my heart stumbles on things I don't know I feel I must finally show Lend me your hand and we'll conquer them all Lend me your heart and I'll just let you fall Lend me your eyes and can change what you see But your soul you must keep totally free
to find any truth in your lies And now my heart stumbles at things I don't know My weakness I feel I must finally show We will live in these bodies. We will die where you invest your love. You invest your life in these bodies. We will live in these bodies. We will die where you invest your love. You invest your life. Please join us at the table.